While the choir is making their way down, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Just uh, We'll be reading a portion out of that uh, chapter, actually the first uh, six verses in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, this morning, I uh, actually conclude a uh, sort of three-part little mini-series uh, on evangelism that has uh, coincided with the uh, Billy Graham uh, emphasis that we've had this uh, past week. And uh, just a very, very quick review. In the first message, uh, we, look, we looked at the invitation uh, that Jesus extended uh, to Peter and Andrew. Uh, that is recorded in Matthew 4.19, where he simply said, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. In that simple invitation, we discovered God's plan, uh, God's purpose, and God's promise for, for every believer's life. What is God's plan for every believer's life? Very simple. Those first two words, follow me. Uh, follow my example, Christ is saying. Follow my lead. Uh, what is God's purpose? Well, that passage, that invitation tells us to become a fisher of men, to catch people for Jesus. And what is God's promise? Jesus said what? I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. He recognizes our weakness and our inadequacy and even our fear and trembling uh, in this arena of ministry, and he says, don't, uh, don't fear, don't worry. I'll come along your side, and I'll provide the empowerment that you need to be what I've called you to be. Uh, in the uh, second message, we looked at how to catch people uh, for Jesus by being intentional in building relationships with lost people. Uh, we saw that it all begins by beginning to think different about what it means to be a Christian, what it means uh, to be the church. Uh, we must choose, again, deliberate, intentional choice to think like Christ, whose primary focus and goal while here on earth was the salvation of lost people. I then must, what, free myself to become involved with lost people. We talked about the fact if we do not plan for it to happen, if we do not make the time for it to happen, it will not happen. Uh, third, I must connect with lost people uh, in sustained, uh, sacrificial, relational ministry uh, to win them for Christ. In other words, to put it very, very simply, uh, to catch people for Christ, we need to bait our hook with love. And uh, they're much more likely to hear the message when they feel our love uh, touching them and embracing them. Uh, so, bottom line, to, to follow Christ is to be a fisher of men. So, if you're not fishing, can you truly claim to be following? Now, in this morning's message, we want to look at how to work together to bring people to Jesus, how to work together to bring uh, people to Jesus. Uh, years ago, there was a, a national publication that told the story of a lost little boy by, by simply uh, showing four pictures, and underneath each of the pictures were captions that sort of captured the essence of the story. In the first picture, 
you saw just this vast wheat field in Kansas. It just seemed to go forever and ever and ever, this tall wheat field. In the second picture, you saw a mother that was in distress uh, inside her farmhouse that sat right in the middle of that wheat field. And the reason she was in distress, uh, they had a uh, two-year-old boy, little boy, that had gotten out of the house, and he had gotten lost in that massive wheat field. And uh, her and her husband began to frantically search for the little boy and call out for the little boy and uh, throughout this massive wheat field. And uh, they were unable to find him. And then in the third picture, you saw all the people from that community who had heard about the situation, and they had gathered uh, the next morning. Uh, to assist in the tr- in the search, and there was this amazing picture of all of these individuals literally holding hands like this in this massive line, and with and in that fashion they would just sweep this wheat field. They'd go over an area, then over a, an, another area, and then in the fourth picture, you uh, saw the father uh, standing over the body of his little son. Uh, They had finally found him, but it was too late. Uh, The cold night had claimed its victim, and the little boy was dead. And underneath the last picture of a weeping father were these words, O God, had we only joined hands sooner. O God, had we only joined hands sooner. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is a world of lost men, women, young people, boys and girls. They are all lost in the field of the world, and they cannot find the Father's house. They are perishing in the night of sin, and when the cold morning dawns, it will be too late. You know, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, after His death, burial, and resurrection, he gave the church one fundamental command. And you know what that command is. He said what? Go. Go into the world and share the good news of my salvation. Be my witnesses. Uh, What do we call that command? What do we call it? The Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. The Great Commission. And if we in the church do not come together to bring people to Jesus, there is no one else who will. And the day is coming when we will stand face to face with Jesus Christ to give an account of how well we obeyed the Great Commission that command to go and to share. Hope you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, that first uh, scripture that's there in your notes, uh, verses 3 through 5. Notice it says, whenever I pray, this is Paul writing, of course, to the church at Philippi. He says, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my, and you might want to underline this or circle this next word, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. 
That's how we should see ourselves as a church family, that we are partners to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just the job of the pastor or the ministerial staff or the elders. You know, we just uh, showed our appreciation uh, to these uh, veterans uh, in various military branches, and uh, many of them served in times of war. And when you hit times of war, it's not just the generals or the officers that fight the fight. It's what? It's the enlisted men. And it's the same thing in the church. Uh, we are partners to spread the gospel together. Yes, I should take the lead. I should be a player coach. But you should be involved in the process as well. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Remember always to live as Christians should, so that you are standing side by side with one strong purpose to tell the good news. Now, let me just pause right there and go back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We have to start changing the way we think about who we are as Christians and who the church is. Notice, we need to embrace this one strong purpose to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to walk as Jesus walked, to seek and save the lost. Praise God we have this wonderful facility to come together for corporate worship, to fellowship together. But it means nothing if we do not get outside the walls of this church and begin to be intentional, to begin to be deliberate in building relationships with lost people, that through those relationships we might have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Now, going back to that Philippians 1.27, circle three things in this verse. Circle to live, that phrase to live. We are to live the Christian life. Then circle the little phrase to tell. We're not only to live the Christian life, we're to tell the good news. And then circle side by side. See, God is looking for audio-visual Christians who live the good news and tell the good news, who walk the walk and talk the talk. But also notice we're to do it with other people. We're to do it what? Side by side, joining hands, sweeping the field of the world again to seek and save those who are lost. So look with me now at four principles on how we are to work together to bring people to Jesus. And uh, now you can turn to Mark chapter 2. I want to build these uh, principles or take these principles, extract them from uh, this story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And uh, begin reading at uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Mark. And uh, we'll read uh, just through verse 6. And it says, And when he, Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. We'll just stop right there. My son, your sins are forgiven. Now look at the very first principle. We are to work together 
with concern for others. That's where it starts. As a church family, as we join hands as partners to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, we must work together with concern for others. And this is the principle of compassion. We have to develop a compassion for a lost world, for people that think different than we do, that live different than we do, that have a different character and conduct than we do. And not to look at them as holier than thou, but again to come along their side, to relate, to connect because of our compassion for them, to bring them to Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 2 verse 3 says, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Notice, notice simply, these four men expressed concern for the paralytic by what? Altering their schedules and taking the time to bring him to Jesus. Again, don't miss just the utter simplicity of it. They expressed concern, but they altered their schedule, and they took the time to bring this man to Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. It says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Now, listen, beloved, the number one reason, the number one reason why most Christians never bring anyone to Jesus is not because they are evil people. But no, many are the most wonderful people on the face of the earth. It's simply because we suddenly drift into a lifestyle where everything centers around what I have to do today, what I have to do tomorrow, what I have to do this weekend. We simply get too preoccupied. Weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. Years turn into decades. And before we realize it, you've come to the end of your life having made little or no difference in the cause of Christ. It's just this simple. If you never devote any time to fishing, chances are you're not going to catch any fish. Now, going back to the story of the paralytic, don't miss the simple fact that he would have never gotten to Jesus on his own. He was paralyzed. He would have never gotten to Jesus on his own. He was paralyzed. If not for the concern of the four men who brought him to Jesus, he would have remained crippled physically and spiritually. And there's an important principle here. People who desperately need the Lord are often paralyzed, paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by guilt, shame, bitterness, loneliness, or grief. And without our loving intervention in their lives, they will never come to Jesus. Look at Romans 15, verse 2. And again, I come back. It starts with thank, it's changing, the way, changing the way you think about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be the church that our priority is to reach lost people. And we need to begin thinking like this. And this is taken from the, from the message. It's a paraphrase of 15.2. It says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith, and that's most of us here this morning, need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? 
How can I help? Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, circle that next phrase, put on. Notice, put on a heart of compassion. That's something that I have to do. That's something that you have to do. It's not going to automatically happen. Again, we're back. One of the key words in this, in, in this little three-week miniseries is that little word being deliberate or if you prefer the word being intentional. And notice it says you have to be, what's that talking about? It's talking about when I get up in the morning. It's saying, God, today is not about me. Today is about you. It's not about me. It's about other people. And so, Lord, right now, I want to put on a heart of compassion. Lord, as I begin to walk through this day, give me eyes to see hurting people. Give me a tender heart. Give me sensitivity so that I'll see the opportunities around me and I'll seize those opportunities just to reach out and show love, to develop that relationship that hopefully will provide that opportunity down the road to have that witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, put on. That's an action that I have to take, that you have to take. We have to be deliberate. We have to be intentional. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We see the same thing. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. See, that's how we're to live our lives, not focusing on me and mine, and, but others. Again, going back to that beautiful passage in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. You're to let lead in your thoughts as you relate to others that they're more important than you. And do not merely look to your interest, but look to their interest and have this attitude. Think like Jesus Christ, who although he existed equal with God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to selfishly grasp, but he emptied himself, relinquishing all of his rights, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And again, I come back, that will not happen unless we begin to be deliberate and intentional in changing the way we think and then acting on that truth. In other words, realizing what it means to be a Christian and then living consistent with that going forward. So that first principle is we must work together with concern, that principle of compassion. Look at the second principle. We're to work together with confidence in Christ. Not only with concern, but with confidence. And this is the principle of faith. It's so important as we join hands to spread the gospel and whatever endeavor God sets us out to, that we do it in faith. We do it in confidence. Look at Mark 2, 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, I love this, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Circle the word there, plural, Whose faith is Jesus talking about? The friends. He's not talking about the paralyzed man's faith, but the faith of the men who brought him. These four men believed if they could get their friend to Jesus, Jesus was willing and able to do the rest. And working together, they strengthened each other's faith. Look at Hebrews 7.25. I love this verse. It says, therefore, he is able, Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. 
Do you believe that verse? Do you believe there is no person beyond the reach of God's love and grace? Do you believe there's no hopeless cause? Then believe with expectation that God will save those that you pray for and you reach out to. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 12. It says, when we come together, I want to encourage you in your faith and I also want to be encouraged by yours. See, the the simple truth is alone. My faith may falter, but working together, my faith is strengthened. You know, I was was sharing with one of our church members uh, earlier this week. He was going through a significant struggle right now. And and as I began to talk with this individual, it became obvious what the the root problem was in terms of them being able to get beyond this and and to know a a real measure of victory. It, It was... They needed to become, become be, begin to be honest and open and transparent with others and develop a team of people that would uh, encourage them and hold them accountable. This person had isolated themselves. And often we make that mistake as believers. We isolate. God never expected us to live the Christian life as lone rangers. God never expected us to spread the gospel as lone rangers. That's why Jesus even sent out his disciples, what? In pairs, in groups, in teams. You know, a... a a great example of this, of encouraging one another, and I've shared this testimony in the past, but there are some of you that would not have heard it, but this was one of those experiences that forever changed my life. I've never been the same uh, because through this experience, I saw not only my need for others to encourage my faith, but I, I saw the strength, the power in corporate prayer. Uh, we, we had a girl that came through the pregnancy center, and I'll do this very, very briefly and uh, she was very hard to the gospel. She uh, she was uh, expecting, uh, totally committed on having an abortion, and uh, uh, we could get nowhere with her. Uh, I had the opportunity to share with her, and uh, I, I don't know if I'd ever encountered a person that was harder to the gospel than this young woman. I mean, she let me know right off the bat she didn't want to know anything I had to tell her about Jesus. She 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 just didn't care, and. Um, and I tried every every way I could to relate, to connect, uh, to love. And she she just basically just threw it back at me. And to be very honest with you, the way the session ended was her cursing me out and uh, just storm, storm, storming out of the office, slamming my door. And, uh, and my heart sank uh, knowing where she was and the state that she was in. And, and it just happened that that evening we had a... a, a counselors meeting where we had the staff and the volunteers counselors of the sound choices coming together uh, for a time of training and then we were committed to reserving the last half an hour for prayer and uh, and I was leading that prayer time and I was in front of all of our staff and volunteers of that beautiful ministry that we established way back in 1981 and as we began our prayer time uh, one of the ladies raised their hand and said, Andy, we, we need to pray for that young woman that had come in earlier today. And folks, the, the moment she said that, I, I was cut to the quick in conviction because I'll be, I'm just being honest and trans. I'd already written her off. I did think she was a hopeless cause. I did believe she was beyond the point of no return. She was just so hard. She was just so resistant. And, and, uh, but 
these ladies, the, the staff volunteers, their faith encouraged me. They believed that there was no heart so dark that God could not penetrate. They believed there was no need so great that God couldn't meet it. And, uh, and I was called on to, to lead in prayer. And it, it was a very embarrassing moment, I'll be honest with you. You know, here I am praying with little, if any, faith. I'm just being honest. I mean, that's where I was at the moment. But praise God, these ladies, they, I mean, they were just leaps and bounds beyond my faith and my expectations. And so we had that prayer time. I went into the office the next day and uh, got a phone call early in the morning, and it was this girl on the phone. And, and this is exactly how the conversation went. She said, I don't believe I'm calling you. She said, matter of fact, it's like I'm in a dream. I'm having to pinch myself to see, am I really awakened? Is this really happening? And then she made this statement. She says, last night, something came all over me. That was her exact words. She said, last night, something came all over me. And when it did, I began to think about everything they shared with me at Sound Choices, everything that you had shared with me. And I can't believe I'm saying this. But I don't want to have the abortion now. I want to choose life for this baby. And I'm going to need y'all's assistance. And I said, we'll be glad to get it. And then she said, and if you can help me, I would sure like to come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, folks, right at that moment, I'm picking myself up off the floor. I mean, in conviction. Again, I'm cut to the quick. I mean, God had just nailed my unbelief. And I knew I couldn't blow it a second time. And so I said, I said, honey, that, that something that came all over you, I said, that happened between 9 and 9.30 last night, didn't it? And then there was a long pause on the phone. And she said, how could you have ever known that? Because she said, that's exactly what happened. She said, I, I had written you folks off. I hated you folks, everything that you stood for. And, and I was just minding my own business. I think she was watching TV or something. And, and I was just rudely interrupted by this something that came all over me. And I said, well, because right between 9 and 9.30, there are a number of people on our knees praying for you because we cared, because we loved. Now, my simple point in sharing that story is to expose my unbelief and how desperately I needed other believers to come along my side in that moment and encourage my faith. And as a result of that encouragement, we saw God do a miracle. And not only did God do a miracle, my life's never been the same. I, I, be, I, I began to see as, as never before, there really is no heart too dark that God c- cannot penetrate. I began to see the power in corporate prayer. So that's so very, very important. Look at the third principle, the third principle. We're also to work together with courage to bring people to Christ with uh, concern, with confidence, and now with courage. So we first started with the principle of compassion and the principle of faith, and now we see the principle of obedience, the principle of obedience. And keep in mind as we talk about obedience, we've, we've talked about this many times before from this pulpit. Obedience is the trigger that releases the glory and the power of God in a situation. Whenever God is about to show himself strong in your life, he's going to ask you to do something. 
He's going to ask you to believe him and step out in that faith. And as you step out believing him, then he releases his power. So you can't wait till there's no fear or you're just going to remain paralyzed and never step out. No, he's saying you step out whether you're scared or not. And as you do, you're going to know my power. Look at Luke 5. That's actually, make, you might want to make a correction in your notes. You have Luke 5.1. It's actually 5.18. That was my mistake. Luke 5.18. This is Luke's account of this same story. And he said, and they were trying to bring him in because of the crowd and to set him down in front of Jesus. You know, let's be honest. I doubt that any of the four men who brought this paralytic to Jesus would have had the courage to do it alone. They found the courage in working together. Yeah, let, me, let me give you, illustrate this. Uh, this is Veterans Day. We've been focusing on our soldiers. I'll never forget talking some years ago with an army colonel who was involved in a study that examined the performance of soldiers in combat situations. And the study spanned World War II all the way to our present contemporary wars. And what did they fundamentally discover in this study, this massive study that that was done? They discovered that when a soldier fights side by side with a team that he knows and cares about, he is much more likely to overcome his fears. He's much more likely to have greater resolve to complete his mission. I mean, they discovered that the, that the majority of soldiers in World War II never dispensed their weapon in a combat situation. And as a result of, the, of studies like this, it totally changed the way the army began to train their men. They began to see the importance of putting men together in teams, working together, and how that just lifted morale, lifted the courage And that great resolve to complete the mission. And it's no different as a soldier of Christ being involved in God's work. By working together to reach people for Christ, you find courage to overcome fears that you otherwise would never overcome. And how will you discover courage? Well, look at Colossians 4.3. I think this is where it begins. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Circle the words pray and opportunities and see the connection. Pray and opportunities. See, when a lost person's heart is hard and God wants to sow seed into it, do you know how he softens that person's heart? Well, God doesn't typically use a jackhammer. He sends the rain. He sends the rain. He sends a storm. Anytime you see a person going through a storm in life, no God is attempting to soften their heart. Look for people that are under stress. Look around at work, at school, in neighborhood. Look for the people that are going through storms that are hurting Target them for prayer out of, again, compassion and concern. And ask God to give you the opportunity to share his love. It may be nothing more, just a kind word. I know you're going through a different, maybe somebody at work, maybe a neighbor. You know, maybe it's a kind word. I know you're going through a tough time right now. And I just want you to know I really do care. I want you to know I'm praying for you. I want you to know if there's anything I can do I'm available for you. 
And again, as I've shared so many times from this pulpit, as we take that approach, you don't have to force the door open. Just trust God to open the doors. Look for the opportunities that he, and and because he loves people more than we ever could, as we begin to think this way, as we begin to act this way, as we begin to reach out to connect with lost people in loving, sustained, sacrificial ministry, he'll open the doors. He'll provide the opportunities. We just need to be looking for them, and when they come, to seize the opportunity. And then after we pray, then we must what? We must go. As we just said, actually reach out to them. Look at Luke 14, 23. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So we pray and then we go and we reach out and we connect and we get involved. And as we do, we trust God will provide the open doors and the opportunities. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and 4. And the reason I love this particular passage is it's the Apostle Paul. You know, this sort of champion of the faith that we sort of put up on a pedestal, that he's beyond our reach. And notice what Paul says about himself. He says, I came to you in what? Weakness, timid, and trembling, but I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the point that I'm making, when we're talking about partnering together to spread the good news, to, to, to actually become deliberate and intentional in reaching out to lost people, getting out of our comfort zone. Remember what Peter, uh, Jesus told Peter, go out into the deep waters and let down your nets. And Peter resisted, but he says, Never th- nevertheless, at your command, I'll do it. And when he did it, what happened? A miracle and a huge drought of fish. And the simple point I'm going to make, so what happens with so many believers is, They think before they can step out in faith in this area of of loving people, sharing with people, relating, that that they need to have this great wave of courage come upon them. It's not going to happen. You're going to be scared to death. You're going to be trembling when you make that step. And that's okay. Because God wants us always to be aware of what? Our inadequacy. So that we're leaning on Him and His power. And it's amazing, uh, the rest of this same passage... It's incredible. Paul says, when I came to Corinth and I began to connect with lost people and began to build relationships so that I could share the good news, he said, I did it and I was trembling, I was frightened, I was so overwhelmed with my inadequacy, but I relied on the Holy Spirit. And then he he says, and you experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing truth there. What did Paul experience as he's stepping out in obedience? Fear, inadequacy. But what did the people he reached out to, what did they feel and experience? The power of the Holy Spirit. And it's back to that principle. Whenever God wants to demonstrate his glory and do a great work, he's going to ask his followers to step out in obedience. Despite our fears, despite our inadequacies, knowing as we do, He will come alongside with His power. Then one last principle as we close. We're to work together with character. We're to work together with character to overcome the obstacles. And, of course, this is the principle of persistence or perseverance, if you prefer. Uh, It's not going to be easy. Uh, There will be people that will be very, very difficult. And and you need to understand what's God primarily attempting to do in your life through all this? Now, don't miss this. 
His primary goal is your character development to make you more like Jesus. He wants to teach you to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus' love, what, never fails. That doesn't mean that Jesus' love wins every individual. I mean, we know that it's just the opposite of that. There's a very small minority of individuals that embraced Jesus in his earthly ministry. The vast majority rejected him. They crucified him. And so we need to realize that's what we're up against as well. But what we see about Jesus, he loved people with a love that never failed them, that would never give up, that would never stop reaching out, that was willing to go to the cross and die for them. And so what God is attempting to do in your life is to develop that character in you, that love that will never fail, that love that will never give up on an individual. Mark 2, 4 says, in being unable to get him uh, to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. You see, they, they could have so easily given up. We can't get to Jesus. The crowd's too great. No, they, they said, we're, we're getting this guy to Jesus. We don't care what it takes. So they actually get in the roof, dig a hole. They would have been responsible to make the repairs. It ended up being costly to them to get this guy to Jesus. And look at Galatians 6, 9. This says it all, doesn't it? So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. Don't miss that. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You know, a great example of this is, uh, uh, let me just share another young woman that uh, Sound Choice has ministered to. this story could go on forever, but I'll make it very, very quick. This was a young woman that we ministered to over a period of about four years. Uh, when she first came to us, she was uh, uh, about 15 years old. And when she initially came to us, she had already had one pregnancy out of wedlock before ever coming to us and had placed that child for adoption. When she's coming to us, this is her second pregnancy out of wedlock, 15-year-old girl. We work with her. She places that child for adoption. She got pregnant a third time, had an abortion. She got pregnant a fourth time, placed that baby for adoption. She's still in her teenage years. We had the opportunity to work with this girl over about a three or four year period of time. We loved on her. We connected. We related to her. We got on her level. We showed her concern. We showed her compassion. But she just kept resisting the gospel, and she would just keep hardening her heart. But then, and we got very frustrated. I'll be honest. We got very frustrated. You know, what are we doing? Just perpetuating sort of this sin cycle here? And, and, but, but we came to the realization, now wait a minute. This woman is God's gift to us. If nothing else, he's God's gift to teach us a love that will never stop loving, that will never give up on any individual. So we just kept loving her. We kept trying to share the gospel with her despite her resistance. We kept praying for her. And then after about four years, she received a progress report on one of the babies that she had placed from adoption from the adoptive couple. And along with the progress report, they sent a, uh, a tape of the adoptive father singing the baby to sleep, just using worship choruses. 
Now, how do you, you know, how do, how do you, how do you explain this? We've been working with this girl for four years. Everybody and his uncle in our ministry had shared the gospel with this girl to no avail. She puts that tape in, and right at that moment, God penetrates her heart. She gets up, walks into our offices, and says, well, I need Jesus, and I need him right now. And she was gloriously saved, never to be the same. And so we have to be persistent. We have to realize God is using even lost people to develop our character as we reach out to them in love. So I pray God will give us grace as a church family to really join hands side by side, to be partners to spread the good news of Jesus Christ with concern for people, with real, real concern, with confidence, confidence that there's no one beyond God's reach, but also with courage to step out in obedience even when we're frightened and afraid, and then to know persistence as we trust God to build His character in us and as He does to impact the lives of others. Father, thank You for this truth. Lord, it's a truth not just to be heard, but a truth to be lived. And Lord, the operative word that's come up in all three messages has been that word deliberate, has been that word intentional, that it will never happen unless we make it happen, unless we step out in obedience to obey you in this area, to begin to change the way we think about who we are, about who this church is, and begin to think like Jesus, making lost people a priority, and because they are a priority, doing whatever it takes to build relationships, to connect, to pray, to look for opportunities to make a difference. So, Lord, give us grace to do exactly that, which in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.